Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 80, Fill These Hearts. Welcome. My name is Lori Krieg and I am the executive director of Hole in My Heart Ministries and we are coming at you from Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I am here with licensed therapist, Argyle expert, and my husband, Matt. Hello. Hey, and we also have our producer and the most professional radio voice among us, producer Steve. G'day, mates. G'day, mates. Every week you're coming at us with some new ones. You like get it up for a little bit and then you circle back. A little creativity is what it takes. (laughs) But today we are going to be looking deeply into a book I read where almost every page I underlined something, dog-eared something, or said like out loud, yes, this is so good. It seemed like the book that I could have read and then started this ministry because we're Mm. called hole in my heart. And the whole thing talks about like that longing, that void in your heart. And it's called fill these hearts. And the author is Christopher West, who is our guest today. And he is a best-selling author, speaker, teacher, and world-renowned expert in John Paul II's theology of the body, which if you haven't heard of that, it's okay. Uh, But it's it's a really influential um, book and work. He is president, Christopher is, is president and senior lecturer at Theology of the Body Institute near Philadelphia. Pennsylvania, and is the founder of the global outreach, The Core Project. He is the author of Theology of the Body for Beginners, a great one. I'm reading it right now. Good News About Sex and Marriage, seems like a good one that we should read, as well as other best-selling books. His work has been featured in the New York Times, on ABC News, Fox News, MSNBC, and countless Catholic and evangelical media outlets, including this evangelical (laughs) media outlet today. Christopher, welcome. I am so thrilled to be here. I mean, it's kind of like a hand in glove, hole in my heart and fill these hearts. Yeah, exactly. We got got some mojo going on here. (laughs) Yeah, you know it, brother. Well, I'm so excited to hear about this universal longing that you talk about in that book and I know is throughout John Paul II's work. Um, And so we are going to get there. But first, we're starting with the question of the week from last week, which was... How do you best receive constructive feedback or growth pointing out about your personal life? <laughs> like, where does it need to be? How close does the person need to be to your heart? And Christopher, we'd love to start with you. Okay. Wow. You're just, you're right out of the, you know, the gates here. We're going for it. <laughs> we go from um, bio to please tell us your deepest, darkest. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? I, as, as a someone involved in public ministry, you yeah. get a lot of praise and accolades, but you also get a lot of criticism. Say what? Get a lot of people <laughs> kind of picking at your your weak points or whatever. And and I've had to deal with this over the years. I've been somewhat of a, a public figure mm-hmm. for 20 plus years. And here's one of the things that I have learned. This yes. is from a little nugget of wisdom from one of my favorites in the Catholic tradition. Her name is St. Teresa of Avila. She oh, lived yeah. about 500 years ago. Mm-hmm. And she says, the humiliations that the Lord allows in our lives are commensurate with our need for them. Mm-hmm. And I've, <laughs> I've, had, I've had some rather big humiliations. So I say, oh. okay, Lord, must have needed that one. Oh. Oh, I love it. We're all imperfect human beings. Yes. And when we have someone who is pointing out our imperfections, it shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't scare us. Now, there's one way that people can point them out that we feel belittled. That's not a good thing. There's another way people point it out where we can feel loved 
in our most vulnerable place, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when someone's pointing out a weakness of mine or somewhere I need to grow or improve and they're doing it in a belittling way, I need to go immediately to the Father and mm-hmm. say, Abba, what do you say? You speak to my heart. Is this somewhere where I need to grow? And if it is, he'll be able to speak it to me in a way that I can hear. Yeah. The Father never scolds or shames us or mm-hmm. condemns us. Whenever he points out a way we need to grow, he does it with love in a way that really invites us. Yeah. So those are some lessons I've learned over the years of learning to grow and and letting people close to me tell me where I need to grow. Thank God for people near me who who know where I need to grow. Otherwise, yeah. I would we all have blind spots, right? We wouldn't mm. know it ourselves. Mm. Mm. You see, guys, this is why we have him on. It's already right out the gate. We, we put put the bar high and he just jumps right over it. <laughs> Matt, which listener did you resonate with and why? Yeah, I, I really resonated with what Les said. Um, and it's a, it's a longer quote, but I'm not going to read the whole thing. But just the middle section of what she was talking about was, I need the reassurance that I'm still loved. So after this confrontation, mm-hmm. after this, you know... Um, encouragement to change has happened. I, I still need that reassurance that I'm still loved, maybe even a day or two after the conversation. Um, and, and I think I resonate with that because I, I have dealt with shame in the past. And so to have this um, in-person encounter where someone is saying, oh, here's a growth area, um, I can very quickly in my heart go to a sense of self-hatred or self-deprecation and, and to know that I'm still loved and to have that follow-up, which would kind of confront that shame that I'm feeling is, is really important for me. And so I, I feel like that follow-up piece and just that understanding that my mistake or my shortcoming didn't destroy the relationship mm-hmm. is, is a big thing for me. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So good. Steve? Uh, I liked what Emily said. I need to receive constructive feedback in person and in a private place. The person needs to have earned the right to speak into my life in this way by getting to know me and spending time with me. And I also need to be able to respect them. Uh, she said, once in a while, a random person will speak to me, but that's not usually the case. Mm-hmm. Um, I resonate with that. I've found that I receive it best when it's somebody who I know and I know that they know me and that they are for me and yeah. I can trust that. Mm-hmm. I've known some like Jedis <laughs> in this department oh, yeah. who have a way of either asking questions or they just get me talking and they guide the conversation. Like I'm not even aware of it to where I become aware just through like hearing it processed out loud. Oh, I'm weak in this area. Mm -hmm. And you know, like there can just be these little subtle suggestions. And like, I really think that the heavenly father just uses the conversation to kind of enlighten me about, about some Mm -hmm. of this, these blind spots. So good. Yeah. Well, I appreciated many of these responses, but Catherine said uh, she needs to hear it in person and she has to know that the person cares about me in a relationship more than an acquaintance. And that resonates with me because I'll often ask this question when we lead workshops and specifically talk about how to walk alongside LGBT people. And they're like, well, when can I tell them it's wrong? When can I say X, Y, Z? And I'll turn it back on the question asker, really the audience and all of us is, well, when can people speak into your life about very personal things? And they're like, 
oh shoot. Mm. <laughs> so asking this question is like, well, you know, you'd want someone really probably pretty snugly close to your heart, especially if it's something like a core belief that they have and that they're wrestling through or whatever. And so I think coming alongside people's hearts and that, you know, I, I'm not perhaps as public of a figure as some people, but I will, I'm, I'm working on what you were saying, Christopher, as far as when people say things and no matter, you know, the tone or how close they are to my heart or not, I'll try my best to go to the father and say, is this something that I need to think through and, and adjust? Uh, or is this just, just trash it? So I'm working on it. <laughs> okay. I'll share another little nugget I learned over the years here that, if I am looking for my identity from other human beings, yes. praise will inflate me mm. and criticism will crush me. Yep. Yep. And as I straighten up and look for my identity from the Father, this is where praise can be received in the right way and criticism can be received in the right way. Mm. One doesn't inflate me and the other one doesn't crush me because I know where my identity comes from. I know I'm loved. And I think that was one of the most important things that came out there. We need to know we're loved in our most vulnerable, weak and broken places. Yes. If we don't, we're just going to be stuck behind the fig leaves forever. Mm. Amen. Yep. It's like the same muscle you have to use in your heart to like reject pride and reject self-hatred. It's the same yeah. spot. Yes. Good good point. All right, Goofball Island guys, let's go. Time for Goofball Island. And the vehicle we're taking is that Lazy Susan cuz we're playing table topics. And we're asking Christopher three questions just to get to know him better, although it feels like he's he's already opening up the door to his heart already. All right. First of three questions is, what do you miss about childhood, Christopher? Ah, good one. I've never been asked that question. <laughs> what do I miss about childhood? You know what comes to mind? This is funny. Just the uninhibited excitement about Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, like when you're bursting out of your skin to, to run down to see what's under the tree. That was that was a thrill as a kid. And somewhere along the line, I, I, I lost that. It kind of got getting kind of gets bred out of you at some point. I don't know why it does, but maybe that's part of of something Jesus is getting at when he says, unless you become like little children, you won't enter the kingdom. We have to give ourselves unbridled joy. We have to give ourselves permission to experience that, I think, as mm. adults. Oh, yeah. There's a whole podcast on that. Yeah. I'm yeah. yeah. Okay. Putting a pin in that. Okay. <laughs> What's the worst job you've ever had? <laughs> Go for it. The worst job I ever had was emptying the grease buckets at Wendy's, uh, restaurant. No. Yeah. Oh, I had buddy. to, yeah, yeah. There's this, oh, I was nasty. I was 16 years old and, and I was a chef, you know, at, you know, cooking burgers. Yeah. But one of the things you had to do after your shift of cooking the burgers, you, you script, you would continually be scraping the grease off the grill <sighs> and it would go into these big five gallon buckets. And then you'd have to go out behind the restaurant where they had the 55 gallon drums oh. where you would dump the grease. So you'd be dumping hot grease into frozen grease. Yeah. And I went back there one time and there was a rat frozen no. in, 
in the 55 gallon drum of <gasps> grease. <laughs> okay, this yeah, is Yeah, I can just picture the like coagulating yeah. fat yeah. and everything. It's that's <laughs> that's flesh. a very good yeah, very good mental picture I'm getting right now. It makes me hungry. Ew. No. <laughs> Not the rat. Like fried rat. Not the rat, oh. more the hamburger grease. So oh, just, okay. <laughs> mm. I still I still eat at Wendy's, so that's a good sign. <laughs> that is a good sign. Yeah. All right, last of these three. If you didn't have to worry about money, what would you do with your life? I would do what I'm doing. I thought you might say that. Yeah, uh, I'm. I'm. I'm one of those few in the world that can say I would be doing what I'm doing. I love, love, love what I do. Aww. If if money were not an object, I would maybe be doing it in a different way or different capacity. But I would still be doing what I what I'm doing. All right, that's a good segue. Mm -hmm. Let's go to the heart of the matter. Now, Christopher, we ask every guest these two questions. And you, as a Catholic brother, um, we're gonna, I'm guessing we're going to hear some of the same gritty, gorgeous answers that we hear from our evangelical siblings. But the question is this. How was the gospel first good news for you? And how is it still? Like, how, how did I receive it first as good news? Yes. And how is it still good news? Yes. Mm -hmm. Great question. So I'm... 49. I turned 50 later this year. Congrats. And mm -hmm. I, I was raised Catholic, but like many Catholics, I was sacramentalized, but not really evangelized. Hmm. And I owe a debt of, of real gratitude to evangelical brothers and sisters who, who brought me to Jesus when I was 20 years old. Hmm. And I would say the thing that called my heart to the gospel well, here's my little metaphor, working metaphor. We all have this hunger. I mean, this is what you guys are all about, holding yep. the heart, right? Yep. Bruce yep. Springsteen says it best. Everybody's got a hungry heart. <laughs> I felt this hungry heart my whole life. But I was raised on what you might call the starvation diet gospel. Hmm. Uh, it was basically a list of rules, you know, do this, don't do that. And your desires are bad. You got to repress all the, that aching and longing you feel because that's just going to get you in trouble. But follow all these rules and you'll be a good upstanding Christian citizen. Hmm. Well, I, I tried that for a while, but then puberty kicked in. <laughs> and, and the hunger really took me to the next level. And then I became a convert. Uh, you'll be familiar with this, Lori, having read Fill These Hearts to these, yeah. this metaphor. I became a convert to what I call the fast food gospel. Oh, yeah. Which is the secular culture's promise of immediate gratification for the hunger. Mm, hopefully and, without sans rats. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but don't don't lie to me here. The chicken nuggets taste very good going yeah. down. Oh, yeah. The oh, yeah. greasy yep. burger tastes really good when you're really hungry. Yeah. But, but if that becomes your steady diet, as it did for me in my teen years then the grease and the sodium is eventually going to catch up to you. And that's kind of a picture of me in my college years. Mm. The grease and the sodium caught up to me, and, and I fell on my knees in a college dorm in 1988 saying, God in heaven, if you exist, you better show me, and you better show me why you gave me all these desires because they're getting me and everybody I know into a heck of a lot of trouble. Right. What is your plan? And I, I, I met some people who were studying the scriptures, and I started going to Bible studies, and people were talking about this personal relationship with Jesus that I, 
I didn't have. Hmm. And and I was studying God's word in a whole new way. It was speaking to my heart and it was it was appealing to my desires. And it was, you know, the first thing Jesus says in the Gospel of John, by the way, is not follow all these rules, but what do you want? Yeah. Hmm. It's he pierces the heart with a question. What do you want? And, and that, that question just like resonates in my whole life. There's this ache, there's this longing. The gospel is good news to me. And ever since I was 21, 20, 20, 21, when I gave my life to Jesus, it has been good news to me because it holds out the promise that there is a banquet that corresponds to the hunger. Yes. You know, the good news of the gospel is not just the forgiveness of sins. And don't get me wrong, that's good news. But that's the salvation from part. We are saved from our sin, but what are we saved for? Hmm. We don't talk about that enough. Yeah. The, the, the first proclamation of the gospel is not you're a sinner and you need a savior. The first proclamation is there is a banquet that corresponds to the hunger. Yes. <laughs> You know, blessed are the hungry. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. They'll be satisfied. Mm. That's what makes the gospel good news. And only in that context can we understand what sin is. Sin is misdirected desire. Mm. We sin when we aim our desire for this banquet that God wants to give us, when we aim it at things that can't possibly satisfy. And so we miss the mark. Mm. So what we're saved from is misdirected desire. What we're saved for is the wedding feast of the Lamb. Amen. Mm-hmm. So good. And so you really answered it. But this gospel, like, how, how does that still permeate your soul today? If I didn't have hope, Lori and Matt and Steve, if I didn't have hope that there was a banquet that is that really corresponds to my hunger, and if I didn't have Thank God we don't just have to wait till the next life. There are real tastes of it in this world. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are real foreshadowings. Uh, if I didn't have those little foreshadowings and if I didn't have the hope of the full fat satisfaction on the other side, I would be scrambling in my life in very disordered, broken ways to fill that hole. Mm-hmm. And that would, And when we do that, it leads not to happiness. It leads to despair. Yeah. Uh, as I say in my book, Fill These Hearts, we have three choices with our desire. We're either going to become a stoic and repress the desire, mm. an addict and indulge in the finite pleasures of the world that never satisfy, or we're going to learn to become, and I mean this in the Christian sense of the word, we're going to learn to become aspiring mystics. Mm. And here, an aspiring mystic is someone who is opening the hunger to what Paul, the apostle, calls the great mystery or the profound mystery of Christ's love. Hmm. That's what a mystic is in the Christian sense. It's not somebody who squashes their hunger. It's somebody who opens their hunger to the infinite. Yeah. And let me give here a a theological definition of addiction. Hmm. Uh, Not a psychological one, but a, a theological one. It's a little different. Addiction happens when we aim our desire for infinite joy at finite pleasures. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. They give you a little hit of satisfaction, 
but they can't possibly fill the yearning for infinite joy because they're finite. So what do we think we need? More. And we go and we get more. Does it satisfy yet? Nope. So what do we think we need? More. Does it satisfy yet? Nope, nope, nope. Hmm. We, we're looking for something infinite. And this is what makes the gospel good news. There, there really is bread come down from heaven to satisfy the hungry heart. That's good news. Hmm. So good. I've actually described what you just said, repeating from you, uh, just this whole idea of the stoic addict mystic. You really unpack that mystic piece of it in the context of Ephesians 5, which is where Paul talks about this great mystery between Christ and the church as one. And it really woke up my own mind to being like, oh, man, because I've been you know, told like, why do men and women fall in love? Oh, it's just this great mystery. And I'm just always have like these question marks over my head because it hasn't been such a huge mystery to me. That hasn't been my default orientation. However, the way you describe it is that marriage is this gorgeous metaphor and we miss, we miss the mark. We stare at the finite. So how is marriage this, both this gorgeous metaphor and yet not all that there is? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, this is what I do. I love to jump into this question. So let, let's get a, a 30,000 foot view on the scriptures. Okay. The Bible begins with a marriage in an earthly paradise. Throughout the Old Testament, God speaks of his love for his people as the love of a husband for his bride. Yeah. When Israel is unfaithful to Yahweh, the prophets say you've committed adultery. In the New Testament, the love of the eternal bridegroom is literally embodied when the word is made flesh. Skip to the end of the story. The book of Revelation describes heaven as an eternal marriage. (laughs) So the Bible begins with a marriage in an earthly paradise. It ends with a marriage in a heavenly paradise. But who gets married in eternity? Christ and the church, (laughs) right? So we have these two bookends of the Bible, and when you look at these two bookends of the Bible, you get the key that unlocks the whole story. Here's the whole Bible in five words. God wants to marry us. (laughs) It's called the covenant, right? This is what the covenant between God and his people, between Christ and the church is. It's a marital covenant. And, And here's where the the dots really got connected for me. And I, I learned this from the teaching of John Paul II called the theology of the body. You see, our bodies are not only biological, our bodies are theological. They tell this divine story. What divine story? They tell the story that God wants to marry us. Hmm. Not only does God love us, not only does he want to marry us, first comes love, <laughs> then comes marriage. Then comes the baby in the baby carriage. I feel that. (laughs) Yes, you do, because you're about to have another one. God bless you. You're an icon of the incarnation, as I told you before the show started. Thank you. Everyone should say that to pregnant women all the time. Yes, we should. This is how we should think. And this is precisely the point I'm trying to make. Not only does God love us, not only does he want to marry us, he wants to fill his bride with eternal life. And it's not just a metaphor. There was a woman who walked this planet who summed up the whole mystery of Israel 
and longed as the bride Israel for the coming of the eternal bridegroom. And she said yes to God's marriage proposal. And lo and behold, she actually conceived eternal life in her womb. Mm -hmm. Our bodies tell this divine story. What story? Our bodies tell the story that God loves us, wants to marry us, and wants to fill the bride with eternal life. This is why we are male and female. And Paul says it so concisely. In fact, he sums up the whole Bible in Ephesians chapter 5 when he says, quoting from Genesis and then linking it with the book of Revelation, he says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And then he adds... This is a great mystery, hmm. and it refers to Christ and the church. Yeah. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> We've heard that scripture probably many, many times, but have we ever really pushed the pause button right. and said, how? How does that refer to Christ and the church? Well, think about it. Christ left his father in heaven. He left the home of his mother on earth to give up his body for his bride hmm. so that we, the bride of Christ, might become one in the flesh with him, hmm. might enter into holy communion with him. This is where holy communion in the Christian sense of the term begins to make sense. Holy communion, not just between Jesus and his church, but the holy communion of man and woman right from the beginning, right from the first pages of Genesis, the holy communion of man and woman is a foreshadowing of the holy communion of Christ in the church. Hmm. I never met my father-in-law, but I admire him tremendously because of this story. I, I didn't meet him because he died when my wife was a girl, but I admire him so much because of this story. Hmm. And it'll illustrate the whole point I'm trying to make here. He married my mother-in-law in the mid-60s, and they came together. They consummated their love as husband and wife on their wedding night for the first time. And the next morning, they went to church. And coming back from receiving Holy Communion, my father-in-law was in tears. And his new bride said, honey, what is it? And through his tears, he said, for the first time in my life, I understood the meaning of those words of Scripture. This is my body given up for you. Oh, man. Okay. Well, I need to just like pause you and rewind and re-listen. <laughs> Do it a few more times, even though a lot of this is is what you say uh, in your book, Fill These Hearts. But I'm just like, yes, yes, yes. Thank you so much. So as I was reading your book, because as you've been alluding to and sharing your own gospel story and in what you're talking about, just this longing and this consummation of this marriage, seriously, reading it has adjusted my paradigm of how I view everything. I yes. see everything as this longing for heaven. So I'm going to read a yes. quote. Yeah, right. Okay. I'm getting woke, brother. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but here's a quote I'm going to read back from to you from you. And this is Pope Benedict um, as well. So it says, untwist the indulgences of the typical frat party. 
the abuse of sex and alcohol, and we find ourselves at the wedding feast of Cana, true foreshadowing of heaven, where rightly directed arrows provides not just fleeting pleasure, but a certain foretaste of the pinnacle of our existence, of the beatitude or blissful happiness for which our whole being yearns. And so I hear you yelling right now. And the question I wrote for you was, how do you not go into the streets and just yell at everyone and just say, you all need Jesus? <laughs> like, yeah, well, that's exactly everything you're what doing. Jesus says. He says, yeah. go into the main streets and invite everyone to follow all these rules and live a life of eternal boredom. No, <laughs> no that's not what he says. He says, go into the main streets and invite everyone to this wedding feast. Yes. Satisfaction of the deepest yearnings of their hearts. Yes. And and here it's so important to point out, you know, earlier we were talking about the stoic, the addict, and the mystic. Right. Who's closer to the mystic, <laughs> the stoic or the addict? I know the answer to this because I read your book and I wrote that in a Twitter quote. <laughs> so, guys, what do you think? Well, the the one that comes right before it. What? The addict. The addict, yeah. And why? So, uh, unfold why you think that is. I'm just a producer of the show. <laughs> well, I, I haven't read the book. Come on, book, Steve. But come I, on. I know. Go ahead, Matt. Go ahead, Matt. I was, I was going to say, I haven't read the book either, but it's, it's something that I would assume the addict, because there's at least a recognition of the pleasure they seek, whereas the stoic is completely trying to deny and suppress that. Mm. Yeah. So, so the key is the addict feels the hunger. Yeah. The yeah. addict is taking that desire, that yearning to the wrong place. Mm -hmm. But at least he feels it. Yep. You know, what What caused the younger son in the parable of the prodigal son, what caused him to leave? His hunger. Mm -hmm. Because he wrongly believed his father didn't want to satisfy the hunger. So he goes out and tries to satisfy it himself. But what brings him back to the father's house? Hunger. The same thing, yeah. the hunger. And then you have the mm -hmm. older brother who kind of represents the stoic, kind of the dutiful Christian, if you will, following all the rules, but he never en enters the party. He never enters the celebration. And that's the tragedy of, of, of a kind of dutiful Christian life where you're following all the rules, but you're not in touch with your hunger. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and if, I, if I can jump in, like it, it reminds me of the first chapter of James and I, we've spoken on this a lot and this is something I use in counseling a lot is the progression that happens in James chapter one, when it says when we're tempted to sin, like that comes out of this desire that we have. The and, and, yeah. The, the epithumia. And so, and, and so often in Christian circles, it's just say no to whatever this thing is that you tend to run to rather than recognizing that it has a desire center like there's, that the epithumia can yeah, be good or bad. Yeah. yeah, that it that it's coming from somewhere and there's never this like recognition of where that place you go to is born out of. And if you never recognize that, you can never truly take take that desire to the place where it's supposed to go, which is to God. Exactly right. Mm. Yeah, it's Christianity is for hungry people. <laughs> that, that, and and this is what and this is the again the, another parable of the wedding feast where you know, the, 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 the so-called believers are invited, but they, they don't even come. They have all kinds of excuses not mm -hmm. to come. Mm -hmm. and, and this is when Jesus says, now go into the main streets and invite everyone to the wedding feast. Who came running to Jesus 2,000 years ago? Was it the religious 
do-gooders? Nope. It was the hungry people. It was the prostitutes. It was the sinners. It was the tax collectors. Mm. Now, we also have, you know, we have the conversion of Mary Magdalene, and we have the conversion of, of Saul, who became Paul, right? So it's not that the Pharisees, the religious do-gooders, are not welcome, but their conversion is going to be different. Mm-hmm. The conversion of a Saul into a Paul is a different animal than the conversion of Mary Magdalene or Matthew, the tax collector. You know, it's a it's a different approach. Um, the, the point is this, a, the stoic approach to desire, if you're just repressing the desire and you're not even feeling it and you're doing it in the name of holiness, the first step here is to say, Lord, forgive me for repressing the very desire that was meant to lead me to you. Mm-hmm. And and I ask you, please, to awaken this yearning in me. Here's the good news. It's irrepressible. It's still in there. Yep. It needs to be awakened. Yep. Whereas the addict is already in touch with the desire. It's just aimed in the wrong direction. Hmm. I often tell people when, again, we do some of our trainings, I'll say, I have zero fear talking with people who are, you know, the most, whatever is in your head, the most unrepentant sinners you can imagine, because I know exactly what you said. It's, it's unrepressible either by outrageous sinning, going for the finite instead of the infinite or by outrageous repression. And so I have no fear. Cause I'm like, I already, I know that the, every word you say is diagnosing how you need God. But can yes, you yes. unpack for us, because even in your allusion to your own gospel story of how like people came alongside to you and, and talked to you about Jesus, you know, they're like, hey, do you have this personal relationship? And our last guest talked about, do you have that personal relationship? That's how he came to Christ. And so we in 2019 are not great at let's just be honest, evangelizing people, telling people about the gospel. So how do you, how can we knowing, oh man, this is all this hunger for God that we are seeking him and your books unpack this so beautifully. How do you, Christopher, talk to the stoic or to the addict to really help them feel that hunger? Yes. If I may say it this way, I'll just point to the greatest evangelist who ever lived you might have heard of him. His name's Jesus. <laughs> uh, and the story of the woman at the well, I believe, is the model of authentic evangelization. Hmm. So she comes to the well. Why? Why do people go to wells? She's thirsty. She's thirsty. Yep. She's thirsty. And she meets this mysterious guy who's willing to enter into conversation with her. Now, the typology here, if you go back to the Old Testament— Jacob's well, where this exchange happened, was the scene in the Old Testament of some very important wedding proposals. Right. Mm -hmm. It's Rachel. And Mm -hmm. this, exactly, this sets the stage for what's happening. And and notice Jesus says to her, give me a drink. His thirst comes first. Mm. This is so important. We are thirsted after before we feel any thirst for anything ourselves. Oh, yeah. In the final analysis, all we can really say to God is, I love you too. (laughs) His love comes first. This is love. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us first. His thirst comes first. All we can say is, I thirst for you too. Yeah. And this is good news because his thirst for us comes first. 
And then notice what Jesus does with this woman. He's he's trying to when he says to her, go get your husband. He's trying to point out to her where she has been aiming her thirst. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Go get your husband. Well, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, I know. I know, in fact, you've been married five times in the past. And the guy you're with now, who's number six, you're not married to him at all. He doesn't shame her. He doesn't scold her. He's pointing out where she's taking her deepest Thirst. Now notice there's some interesting symbols going on here. Six is the imperfect biblical number. This woman, as we all do, is taking her thirst for perfect love to imperfect lovers. We all do this. Well, what's the perfect biblical number? I don't know. Is it seven or is it (laughs) seven? Seven out of 12. Who's her seventh lover? Yeah, Jesus. Hmm. He redirects her thirst. This is evangelization. Mm -hmm. Evangelization is getting people in touch with their thirst, gently, keyword, gently pointing out where they're taking it without condemnation, without scolding, and then gently redirecting that thirst. And here's where Jesus does the redirect. He says, if you knew the gift that I wanted to give you, you would ask me for a drink And I would give you a water that if you drink it, it will well up in you to eternal life. Mm -hmm. He's redirecting her rocket engines to the stars. That's what he's doing. Yeah. Hmm. That's evangelization. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. Well, and and I think the 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 piece that you're talking about, he didn't condemn her, he didn't shame her. And actually I think this might come from your book, so correct me if I'm wrong. uh, Toward the end of it you you talk about the fact that in these places where we have been maybe misdirected um the places where we've we've taken our longing to the finite that if we truly know and understand kind of this this thirst that god has for us first we never need to fear admitting our own failure amen amen Mm. amen and, and in the final analysis, what we're really getting at here is just what Jesus was getting at with the woman at the well. If we could put it in biblical terms, what we're talking about in terms of redirecting our desire is becoming true worshipers. Mm. We worship whatever we think is going to satisfy our thirst. Mm-hmm. That's what we worship. Mm. And Jesus is inviting us to become true worshipers. In other words, he's inviting us to direct our thirst at that which really satisfies. Yes, yes. This is why it's good news. This is why the gospel is good news. And you know what happens when we become true worshipers? We don't love the things of this world less. We love them more because we love them rightly. Hmm. And we come to see the very things that in our old life were obstacles we're stumbling blocks, we're idols. They get untwisted and we discover that they're icons. Hmm. Everything in the created world was created by God to be an icon, to be a sign that leads to a heavenly mystery. Yep. And this, this is so important. This is basic biblical cosmology, but we have to say it over and over and over again because we've been so deceived by the deceiver. And here's the biblical truth I want, I'm pointing at. The devil does not have his own clay. Hmm. Mm -hmm. All he can do 
is take God's clay and twist it, <laughs> distort it, mock it. The redemption takes that twisted up clay and doesn't throw it out the window. The redemption untwists what sin has twisted up. And when things get untwisted, we start to see the whole world not as idol to worship, but as icon that leads us to true worship. Yeah. Man, Christopher, just God's truth and spirit just pouring out of you. I can't wait to re-listen to this one <laughs> and again and again. So thank you so much for sharing what God has uh, really first done in your life and then sharing with us today. You are so welcome. Hey, could I could I offer something? Yeah. To your listeners, please. There's a way to take a free course with me online. Yeah. If you would like to do that, all the listeners out there, send a text to this number, 63566, and just type the word course, C-O-U-R-S-E, into your text message and send it to 63566. The course is called What Do You Want? It's based on that first line from the Gospel of John, that the first line of Jesus in the Gospel of John is, what do you want? And I'm going to send you, when you send me that text, you'll get a link, and it'll take you to this free course that's four short videos. They're about 20 minutes each. Each comes with a study guide, and we're just going to do a, bi a biblical study together of those words, what do you want? And we're going to look deeply at our hearts the deep desires we have and what we're meant to do with that desire. So good. Yeah. And guys, I'll repost that in case you missed it on our podcast episode page and as well as links to all of Christopher West's just, you know, his social media stuff, but also um, his his books. You guys, I cannot recommend Fill These Hearts and his other ones enough. Uh, so thank you so much again, Christopher. You're welcome. Lori, Matt and Steve, pleasure, pleasure to be with you and all your listeners out there. And may we have the courage to let that question of Jesus, what do you want? What are you looking for? Let us have the courage to let it sink in really deeply and redirect our rocket engines to the stars. Amen, amen. and amen. All right. Now, for those of you who are going to be joining us next week, here's the question of the week with Ann Voskamp, AVK herself, guys. <laughs> uh, what were you modeled or taught when it came to your emotions growing up, were you taught to share them, to bury them? Or like, were you only allowed to open up and emphasize certain ones? Like some people are like, you can feel anger, but you can't feel sad or you can't, you know. So I just would love to hear. And if you guys want to connect with us, you can respond on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. Find me, Lori Krieg, K-R-I-E-G. And I'm working on, on posting those a little bit sooner than right before I... <laughs> record because <laughs> people are like wait did you get mine i'm like sorry <laughs> it was already done additionally if you want to hear more about what we do we're actually booking into the fall for those journey well workshops that i've mentioned a couple of times and how to journey well alongside lgbt people while holding to a historical christian or orthodox view and a recent attendee of our workshop said that maybe the best workshop I've attended on any subject, head and heart scratched, which is pretty neat. And that's Matt and I do that together. Matt's getting bug-eyed. You haven't heard that one. Isn't that crazy? No, I, I, 
I did hear that, but okay. that's like extremely high praise and yeah. I'm like having a hard time accepting it. Well, and we will do exactly what was recommended by Christopher at the beginning of this podcast, which is use the same muscles to deflect uh, pride as we do self-condemnation. Uh, but if you guys are interested in that workshop, we love our prayer every time before we speak or serve anywhere is God help us to just serve this group exactly where they need it. But you can hit me up at Lori at himhministries.com to learn more. But thanks so much for all of you listening today and for all of us here at the Hole in My Heart podcast. We will see you next week. I don't know what the rest of my night is. What if we lose power at the house and all the world breaks? Gotta be prepared. Hell breaks loose. Okay, are you the type of person to, when do you get gas? Um, I get gas when I get to eat. After eating At Mexican. E? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't drive around on E for very long. But you'll, the light will be you on? You shouldn't take E Sometimes. anytime. Matt is talking about ecstasy. <laughs> what? He said, said you, you shouldn't, shouldn't take, take E, e anytime. anytime. Don't <laughs> just drive around on <laughs> Oh my gosh, I'm Matt. too old to get the drug references. Are you recording? Yes, we are. Okay, good. Yep, yep. <sighs> okay, okay. you'll have the light yeah, on and you'll still be driving. He's like this Motel is another six. personality type thing. He'll leave the light on for you. I get anxious when it hits a quarter tank left. Really? And I'm like, we got to fill this baby up. Yeah. I No, I go until E. I, I try. Usually e I light have on? My, e light Usually on. I have in my head, I should make it two weeks on this tank of gas. And, two weeks. Um, well, and so if much. I'm getting close to that, I'll like... You know, take it easy. I'll be like, Kelly, let's take your car. You know, oh. like stuff like that. Yeah, I know. You remember the two-week mark? I don't remember the times I get gas. Yeah, I do sometimes. Um, Matt remembers the times bothers, I get gas. You know what bothers me? <laughs> Channeling you and Juju. Go ahead. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> what What bothers me is Insert poop joke. when I am a day short. I'm like, I know I am not going to be able to make it another day. and I. But it would just be one day and I would be an even two weeks. One day more. Yeah, right. I've become Jean Valjean. <laughs> um, anyway. Matt, you yeah. like to ride the E, not the drug. His <laughs> <laughs> eyes are I, uh, right <laughs> I will let it go usually below a quarter, but somewhere between an eighth and when the light comes on. I, my heart is racing right now thinking about that. Yep. <laughs> Mine's perfectly fine. <laughs> okay, but then what was the contrast? Uh, battery. Oh, yeah, the phone battery, though. Yeah. Yeah. You're acting like anxious I, about it. I, I don't act anxious yeah. about it. A little bit. I, I wouldn't say I, I... I've never thought that I'm anxious about it either, but... What? I'm just like, if there's a charger, I'm a charger, charge. And I know I'm going to be sitting Below here for a what? while what's what's like what's anxious mode of your battery it's not even about the battery it's like if there's a charger and i'm yeah. gonna be sitting here oh it might God. as well even, be charged even if i'm at 90 percent, i'll be like uh-uh this will get me to 100 by the time yeah. i leave do, do, all i know is 100 is <laughs> your emotional less. health go up to 100 no it has no it's it's literally a logistics thing there's no emotional right. tie to it you guys yes. are the same it's so stinking exactly person. the same yeah. <laughs> i just have a much sultrier voice <laughs> yeah 